the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece that I trust you'll enjoy. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. One of the many Orwellian ideas, like it is fair to women to have men who say their women compete in women's sports. Or how's this? To be colorblind is to be racist. I actually cited a professor earlier in my show today who said that. Another one, a woman who teaches at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, that the idea that uh, one should be colorblind, the entire notion uh, is racist. Whereas, in fact, it's the antithesis of racism. I have proof, by the way. I have proof. If the Germans did not see race, ethnicity, or religion, there would have been no Holocaust. As a Jew, I find the notion that to be colorblind is racist to be particularly despicable. But the left is despicable, and I make that case every day. But making the case really, really, really well is a book just published this month, The Virtue of Colorblindness, by a a professor, associate professor of ancient Greek philosophy at Colorado State University. And that is Andre Archie, who Professor Archie has actually now just recorded a video on this subject, which will come out at PragerU in about how long, Alan? Say a couple of months? Yeah, it takes us a long time to produce these things. So he is a remarkable uh, voice, and uh, he is now on video with me and on audio. Andre Archie, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Well, Dennis, thank you for having me. I've I've been listening to you for years, so it's it's a real honor to actually get to talk to you, get to see you, and thanks for having me on. Well, to to be totally honest, I'm honored that you've been listening. I really am. I, I did not expect that. So I always ask any professor who is not on the left and who is public about it, what is it like for you at your university, in your case, Colorado State? Yeah, that's a really good question. So at Colorado State University, I have a history there, in fact. I met my wife there. Uh, I went there as an undergraduate. She was an English major. I was a philosophy major. I ended up going got out east, got my master's, PhD, and then I... I'm employed there now, so it's sort of full circle. So what is it like? Well, I got tenure first. I kept my head down, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, a few people knew that I was I was right of center, but I wasn't really vocal about it. But once I got tenure, and this is one thing that Harvey Mansfield, a uh, uh, political theorist at Harvard, uh, he's, he's retired now, but he said, you know, once you get tenure, that's the whole point of tenure is that you can speak up on issues. There are issues that academics can engage in, that society as a whole, we need to hear. Society needs to hear. 
And so once I got tenure, I felt comfortable. Um, my faculty, they, they're dedicated to intellectual diversity. Uh, the book just came out. So we'll see the response if, if, if in fact, they are committed uh, to intellectual diversity. But so far, it's been fine. I mean, I don't bring my politics into the classroom. I know that others do, but um, I teach ancient Greek philosophy. Of course, I introduce my students to ideas that might, they might not hear elsewhere. But uh, for the most part, uh, the reception's been okay. So you, uh, and, and by the way, I am pro-tenure. The, uh, the, many conservatives feel tenure has just been a license for awful people to stay employed. And it is true, it has. But you are a living example of why I, I don't want it abolished. What's your take on tenure? No, I, I agree with you. And I've, I've listened to you and others in the past regarding higher education. So we might have some differences there. But I think that, you know, higher education, it, it has drifted for sure. But I think it serves a purpose that perhaps we can get into. But in terms of tenure, there are lots of other academics like myself. I think there's a lot. Um, for me, it has certainly protected me. I feel comfortable expressing my points of view. I don't think what I'm saying is radical. I think tenure has played a part in that. I do think it protects academics who are crazy. I really do. Um, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I think that in my case and in many other cases, it, it has encouraged me to flourish in a way that um, I think not having tenure uh, w w would have. And so I, I think on net, it's positive. But there are many other factors that sort of hinge on uh, uh, tenure or at least having tenure and other factors that make it negative, which we, we can discuss, but I don't think it's tenure necessarily. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So, Andre, if I may call you Andre, uh, yep. I have another question that I standardly ask. I ask professors who are not on the left how they're received by faculty, and I ask blacks who are not on the left, how has your family accepted you? My family. That's interesting. Um my family's not particularly uh, political. I think they know where I stand. We, we agree on some things. Um, we disagree on other things. Uh, I just sent my nephew a copy of my book. He received it quite well, or at least he's still reading it. Um, 
probably the large, the bigger difference, and it's not sort of a negative difference, but it's 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 one of a topic of conversation, uh, is my wife's family. My wife is Jewish, and um, they're they're left of center. My wife is is that's a shock. Of, One minute, wait, wait. Let me recover from the shock as a Jew to hear that your wife's Jewish family is left of center. I am stunned. <laughs> But That's, they're, 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 uh, by the way, I am going to res- I am going to tell the world this story about you. Oh, my black family, they're pretty much okay, but my wife's Jewish family, they <laughs> I can't believe it. They must think what lousy luck they have. Their daughter marries a black non-Jewish guy and he turns out to be conservative. <laughs> no, no, they, it, 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 they're, they're sweet people. I love them. Uh, oh, I have no um, doubt about that either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, 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 we debate issues. Um, uh, so I mean, it's not, it's not negative at all. It's more of. Um, so, do they find you a puzzle? I, I think initially, yeah. I think over the years, I mean, they realize that even some policies that you get left of center. I've gone too far, and I think that they they see when it comes to certain issues that in fact those who are right of center have a point, and so I try to emphasize. Uh, in particular, we 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 would discuss affirmative action, and I think that um, at least some are starting to see, at least in my wife's family, that it's been quite negative, and and, it, and it's created a, a entitlement mentality that uh, we're just now beginning to uproot. So. It's a perfect, uh, actually, segue to your book. So nobody knows your wife's family, so there's no, and, and, and this is not ad hominem in any event. This is pure intellectual curiosity. Do they think colorblind is racist? They don't think colorblind is racist at all. No, no. Um, they, they do have a lot of sympathy that I think might be misplaced in terms of seeing people of color or blacks in particular as uh, maybe disadvantaged in a way that they want to help. So their hearts are in the right place. But I think that um, like other white Americans who, who might be left of center or even right of center, um, I think there's misplaced uh, generosity, if you will. And I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I think there's a lot of generosity. Uh, I think for others, they're all there's ulterior motives, but I do think there's a generosity that's misplaced. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Where did the notion start? What I am old enough to remember, and you don't even have to be as old as I am. Uh, I would say anybody over 50 was raised to believe that colorblind is the, is the liberal ideal. When did that change? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I get into some of this in the book, but I would say first and foremost, recently, the death of George Floyd really exacerbated many of the trends that we were starting to see. I would say in the 80s, we were on a pretty good trajectory, but in the 80s, we had the emergence of multiculturalism. A lot of people tend to think multiculturalism it was innocuous. It is innocuous, but in fact, it's quite dangerous. So, my first question on this subject was: When did this idea begin? Since 
I was raised properly by liberals that the whole point was to be colorblind. So you were saying that it started with multiculturalism. And that was when in the 70s? When, when, when did that? Uh... So, so that was the late 70s, early 80s. And I'll add something else to that. But, but let me talk a little bit about the multiculturalism. So yeah, late 70s, early 80s. And if you remember, that was around the time that we had these book wars. We had Alan Bloom's Closing of the American Mind. We, have, we, we had sort of discussions about the canon and whether or not we should expand the canon. Uh, should we get rid of white males in the canon or at least minimize their influence? And so what that's based on is a politics of recognition, that it's the group that should be recognized. There are two, two assumptions there, sort of presuppositions, if you will. The first is, is that racism is not aberrational. It's natural to what it is to be an American. America is systemically racist. Even back then, that was the presupposition regarding multiculturalism. A lot of people didn't realize that. The other presupposition is that Black Americans, pe people of color, can only advance if it's in the interest of white people, both working class white Americans and upper class white Americans. So you have these presuppositions which inform the emergence of, again, discussions regarding the canon, but you had the institutionalization of African-American studies, you had Chicano studies, but in particular, you had the establishment of African-American studies. Now, I'm not opposed to African-American studies, but there's a factor there that I think has contributed to a lot of the discussions we're having regarding race in a very negative way, in a very negative way. So a lot of the ideas that we get with DEI, with anti-racism, all of those ideas were in the classroom, right? They were in the classroom. With the death of George Floyd, it didn't create these ideas, but it, it, it allowed for the emergence or those ideas to jump out of the classroom into the public square, both in terms of primary education, secondary education, uh, uh, post-secondary education, corporate America. Now, in corporate America, that's a lot of virtue signaling. I, I think that's on its way down, these DEI practices, or at least I hope. But it's in education that it's deeply rooted. But I do think that it's multiculturalism, in particular, that really started this trend. And then we have to keep in mind, too, Dennis, that we have a soft underbelly here in America. I mean, it's race. We, we have a soft underbelly. And I think that when you go all the way back to, to, to the 19th century, I mean, and within the black community, you had those who argued, contemporaries of Douglas, those who argued that America is systemically racist. Now, they had a point back then. I mean, there, there's no denying it. But you had those African-Americans who argued we should, we should immigrate, right? There's no way we can get a fair shake in America. That was a longstanding debate. You got some of that in the 60s. You got that with Marcus Garvey. Right. And so what I'm saying is there's always been those discussions in the black community regarding whether or not America is systemically racist. Is it good or racist to be colorblind? All of those discussions were there. But then when you fast forward with Ferguson and then, of course, again, with 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 Floyd. And, and, and the allies, presumably in the legacy media, we've uplifted, we've funded groups of individuals who sort of pick at that underbelly, 
in such a way that now what predominates is the idea that to be colorblind is to be racist. And so that's what I'm arguing against in the book. But those roots, they're, they're deep roots, right? So there are two sort of trajectories. I think the one we were on was a good one. We need to be colorblind. And then, of course, we got sidetracked. It's so hard for me. Uh, you did such a great job, but it's so hard for me, just to speak individually, to counter what I consider to be antithetical to to reason and logic. If, as I say frequently as a Jew, had the Germans been colorblind, race-blind, ethnicity-blind, and religion-blind, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. How could that not be the ultimate aim is that I only see you as an individual. I, I wrote I wrote a piece, you, you would appreciate this. Uh, one of my columns years ago was I fell in love with America in my 20s. And one of the reasons was my being in a rotary club in, in what was then a very, very small town and now was a serious city, Simi Valley, California, when I moved out here to California in my 20s. And I joined the Rotary Club. I was the only Jew in the club. And what I wrote in my column was, nobody gave a damn. Okay, yes, Dennis is a Jew, so what? Andre is a black, so what? Isn't so what the ideal? The so what's uh, the ideal? And, and what I don't get, Dennis, and, and you're touching on it, this seems very intuitive to me. The idea that we should judge people not by their ascriptive qualities, but by their character. That seems very intuitive. And when you look at the other side, the logical conclusion is exactly what we hear from them. And, and I use this example when, when you, October 7th, right? And you think about the people who, who instantly condemned Israel. People like Coates, people like uh, Ibram X. Kindi. Those are the people that I treat in the book. Their ideology is dangerous precisely because it's tried. Yes. You know, uh, tell me if this is incorrect. I'm serious. I, I have no issue with, with guests differing with me. When, when a, anyone, black, white, whatever, looks in the mirror in the morning, right, when they, when they get up and they, they wash their face and do their hair, whatever it might be. Uh, do they, when I look in the mirror, the, the one thing I know I don't think about is that I'm white. So I'll ask you, and, and, and I, I may learn, I don't know. When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you think, oh, there's a black man? Or is it Archie? Um, yeah, I, of, of course not. Of course not. And, and your point is a point that, again, is very intuitive. Um, now, now the, the, the opponents will argue this position that you're advocating, or at least what, what we believe, is that, well, we're not even aware of the, the structural features of our own racial consciousness because we're deluded, we're, we're naive. And so they want to argue, if, if you don't see color or race, 
it's precisely the system itself that you've been you've been brainwashed by and so you're probably racist you're probably i don't understand forgive me i've been brainwashed to believe what You've been brainwashed to think that any idea of neutrality, objectivity, impartiality, in fact, is colorblind. But in fact, by being neutral, you're you're inadvertently supporting the system that really suppresses, represses people of color, black Americans in particular. That's that's what they tell me. They tell me that any idea of colorblindness is 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 presupposes impartiality, that we're all equal before the law, but all of that hides these racial structures and and practices that keep blacks subordinate. So, So to make a long story short, of course, when I look in the mirror, I don't see color. But that's what they argue. They argue that you don't see color because you're naive. You're, you're, you've already been influenced by the system. And because of that, you, you <laughs> okay, practice, right. you, you're practicing racism by uh-huh. your absence of being conscious. I mean, it's silly. Yeah, well, silly is such a gentle word. I salute you. You're a better man than me. Have you heard that United Airlines is now reserving 50% of its pilot spaces for women and people of color. I, I I didn't know about the uh, percentage, but I did hear about that. And that's, there you go. I mean, that, that says all you need to know about what exactly we're up against. Why doesn't I mean, th- that These are hurt- life and death situations. Yes. Why doesn't that hurt women and, and blacks? I don't understand it. Right now, I fly more than 99% of, of, of humanity virtually every week of the year. I'm on the highest level or next to highest level of every air, of major airline. I I don't give a damn what the color or or the sex of my pilot is. It doesn't it doesn't register with me. It will now on United. It will. And I I have I, tell me if you differ, but I have actually advocated that starting in, in the near future people if they have a choice not fly United. And this is well, not this is not anti-black or anti-woman. It's it's anti-united. Well, 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 Dennis. I mean, p- perhaps I'm a bit more skeptical, but I I think in a lot of these cases, and this especially happened after uh, a Floyd. A lot of corporations, companies committed to doing X amount of work uh, for promoting X amount of thing in terms of people of color, et cetera. None of that really ever happened. So, I mean, do you really think that a major airline company um, will actually go through implementing this without it affecting their bottom line? I mean, to me, it sounds a lot like virtue sigma signaling. The fact. Uh, that, uh, wait, you, know, you don't only think it's virtue signaling. You think they're not even telling the truth. They won't even do I it. That's, I, I don't think. Uh-huh, so. That's fascinating. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I. It's a very interesting question. The book, and it's listening to him. It's quite self-recommending. The virtue of colorblindness. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, townhallreview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.